Welcome to the Spark of Splendor podcast, where we celebrate everything creative about you. Welcome, welcome. We have Paramananda, the most incredible, talented, multi-talented, rock in the war on illusion, first and foremost, (laughs) above all else. That is the most important thing. Thank you for being here, Parmananda. I'm so grateful for you. And from the time we met at the Govardhan Eco Village in India, I felt deeply connected and I'm very grateful to be here today to celebrate the creative spark that is you. Paris too, I'm so honored to be on your podcast. This is like something that had to happen. You're a natural podcast host. So um, when, th- when this podcast is huge, I'm going to be like, yeah, I was one of the first people on it. <laughs> so yeah, I'm very honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I am so grateful for your blessings and your encouragement. And yeah, I am just amazed. So you are very multi-talented. You have um, many bands that you've started. Um, you have a family, um, you have children, you teach yoga, um, so many beautiful things about you that I get to experience personally. Um, I'd love to hear something about your childhood that really shaped your worldview. Wow. Mm, good question right off the bat. Uh you know, I grew up in Westchester. Do you know where Westchester is? Have you ever I been do. to Westchester? Mm-hmm. So I grew up in a very kind of hoity-toity part of Westchester. You know, my dad was relatively wealthy. And, you know, we went to, uh, you know, I went to a really, you know, nice school with like a lot of rich kids. And I think that was probably like the first Krishna conscious lesson or spiritual lesson that you could say that I learned as a kid is that money doesn't really doesn't really translate necessarily into happiness and i could see it especially with my dad because i could see how confused my dad was because you know my dad first of all my grandfather was like the american dream my grandfather came from italy on the boat from italy with my grandmother when they were just married like you know you know young married couple from italy coming over to america you know for for a better life no money in their pocket nothing they just kind of came to new york and they kind of just got dumped off into you know the lower east side of new york and how old were they i think they were in their 20s or something like that like they were just newly married Mm -hmm. and um my grandmother worked three jobs my grandfather worked three jobs he put not only did he work three jobs, he put her, him and her through college. So all they did was work and sleep, like both of them. They were just like so hard, such hardworking people. And then they both graduated with um, uh, pharmacy degrees. They were pharmacists. And my grandfather had, had managed to squirrel away enough money to open up a pharmacy in Westchester. Mm-hmm. And it became wildly successful. And he, he you know, became pretty wealthy, you know, from owning this pharmacy. And, uh, you know, so from that, 
you know, my dad started out with a good head start and then he went to college and he got a good job. And, um, you know, so we ended up in Westchester. And so I grew up very privileged. And um, I could see that even though that my dad sort of worked hard and he had the cars and he had the big house in Westchester, we had a huge backyard. Um, things weren't happy for him. You know, he, he went to a job that he didn't like and he had to work every day for it. And, you know, him and my mom got divorced and, you know, we weren't spiritual whatsoever, you know, really growing up. And I could see that he was frustrated because I could see that he thought, like, what am I doing wrong? I've done everything that they told me I need to do in order to be happy. I made the money. I went to college. I got the good job. I got married. I got the kids. And... um you know, he was, he was very frustrated and I could, I, I could understand that even from an early age. So I think that was kind of like one of the first lessons that I learned growing up that, um, this pursuit of money that everybody in my school and all their parents and everybody is so caught up in, I know firsthand, it's not really all that is cracked up to be. And there's gotta be something else that makes people more happy. Um, you know, I, my, you know, my dad really wanted me to go to college because I, yeah. you know, I have a, I have an older brother and a younger sister and I definitely got the best grades out of anybody. I, I pretty much just got straight A's in school um, without even trying that much. Um, I was just kind of like good at taking tests and just, you know, going to school and stuff like that. So I was like the big hope for my dad that I was going to go to college and, you know, really, you know, get a good job and make a lot of money. And so when I quit college to tour with my punk band <laughs> that Ruggenoth was singing for, you know, my dad lost his mind. You know, he, he couldn't believe that I would sacrifice, uh, that I would just toss away my future just to kind of, you know, play this really raucous music. But from where I was sitting, it's like, why, why do I want to follow his path? that I kind of understand leads to a, a pretty miserable place. So right. I'm going to, I'm going to at least try something different. I'm going to follow my heart. This is something that I'm passionate about. You know, we were in a straight edge band too. Um, you know, the band was youth of today that Raghunath sang for. If you don't know who Raghunath is, he's my friend who's a, just an outstanding yoga teacher. He, he also does a lot. He's um, he, you know, he's, in youth of today and the band shelter with me and he also does the super famous podcast called wisdom of the sages that you know thousands and thousands of people watch every single day i love it, um, I, love it. I love that and actually it was his training um when we first met he was doing that pilgrimage in india um which or it was a yoga teacher training though i did go on a pilgrimage with him last year and took like a bunch of my family raghunath is amazing and um, but just to like reflect what I heard, um, thank you. And I really appreciate you sharing that just about like what shaped your worldview and then seeing your father struggling with like having all this money, but being miserable and unhappy. And yet he was kind of expecting you to follow in his footsteps. And you're like, well, no, there's something better for me. And I also listened to one of your interviews where you were sharing how you had even gotten into like like in your school, which I didn't realize was a very wealthy school, people were like using 
uh, like drinking from a very young age and, and you quickly were like, this is not for me and decided to go straight edge. Oh yeah. I don't know how it was in your junior high school, but <laughs> you know, drinking was so much a part of, you know, it was the eighties. So it was like eighties culture was all about partying and all the movies were about partying and, you know, animal house and fast times at Ridgemont high and all those kind of movies. So it was really, you know, it was, it was really glorified and accepted in culture. I think it's still, you know, it still is. Yeah. yeah. And even that I didn't realize until you explained that minor threat song, the straight edge song was like the first. And I was like, oh, Parmananda, thank you. You like connect the dots for me. Um, Cause what does that even mean? It means like being um, like not drinking and not smoking and not using drugs. Straight edge is to like, just be completely sober. Um, yeah. Right? Straight edge, straight edge was mostly like a subgenre of punk rock, which was almost like the rebellion to the rebellion. Because you know, punk rockers kind of looked around the world and they didn't like what they saw, so they're just like, "I'm going to just go against everything." Yeah, and that's how I was also when I was a kid. Like I just looked out at the world and I looked at, you know, I just couldn't really make sense of it. And they said, "I'm going to just, you know." get a funny haircut and wear weird clothes and just let everybody know that I'm different. <laughs> you know, I don't want all this stuff that's being pushed on us. And, uh, you know, uh, I just want to go a different route with my life. But the, the funny thing, the, it, the funny thing is, you know, I didn't like high school culture because what was high school culture? You drag a keg out into the woods, you get drunk, you know, and, by the time I went straight edge, kids were like, you know, by the time that was like in, in my school and in my, you know, environment, kids started drinking super early. Like, I think I, I think I started drinking on a regular basis when I was like 12. I mean, it helped that I had an older brother who was yeah. older than me. And he, he used to bring me to parties and stuff like that. But it just seemed like a like a pretty normal thing that kids would and alcohol amongst all the parents was super accepted. I mean, all the parents drank and, uh, you know, so maybe other drugs were kind of looked down on. But yeah. drinking was like everybody drinks, you know, it was, yeah. it was normal. So but but I saw that by the time that I was like 15 and, you know, about ready to, you know, you know, like starting high school and getting into high school and stuff. You know, my friends were really starting to up the game as far as drugs went. You know, at first it was pot and then it was Coke. And, you know, it's a really kind of like, you know, the kids are wealthy enough to get Coke. So, uh, you know, there's Coke, you know, there's there's pot. Kids are doing all sorts of like weird, uh, you know, new drugs and things like that. And I just I just I wasn't into it. I really, even when I did, even when I did drink, I really didn't like it. I just think I just had a predisposition from a last life that I kind of figured that out, that drugs were a source of misery instead of a source of, amazing. <laughs> instead of I mean, a source of joy. That, and it's like, I think to what's on your shirt about the war on illusion is like so many of the things that we think are meant to like bring some pleasure or some perceived pleasure or acquired taste a lot of it is um just illusory 
it really it it it's it's such an illusion because an illusion is you take something for something different than it really is and you just see all these like you know 14 15 year old kids and then it got into like it wasn't even beer anymore then the cool thing was like i remember you know when i turned like 15 instead of everybody having a beer at parties that wasn't even cool enough i remember everybody used to get these like there was these little bottles of jack daniels mm. and so you'd have these like 14 15 year old kids and they'd be walking around parties with these bottles of jack daniels and that is like oh my god for a 15 year old kid to be drinking that really hard whiskey like that you know it's so you- sad and that was like back in that time and then i'm just like are kids just addicted to their phones now? Is that like the new addiction? No, it's way worse. Now kids are doing Molly and pills and fentanyl. Oh no! Yeah, it's no. way. It's actually way worse now. But um, you know, I could see all these kids. You know, when you're 15 and you weigh like whatever 120 pounds or 115 pounds or something, and you're drinking like you know really hard alcohol like that, you very quickly get alcohol poisoning. People are throwing up left and right, and I was just like this is not fun (laughs) um yeah so and so you took that you were like clear this is not for me this is not fun and you had this kind of last life maybe carried over some some sense of like this is not for me and i want to focus on developing a better relationship with the world and myself and so it seems and from what the amount of work you've done as a creative and the number of bands that you have and have been a part of um, just how you've been able to channel your energy into creative pursuits. And I'd love to hear about, um, yeah, just how that's that ability to focus your energy and have you just speak a little bit about that with us well you know it was it was so great that i was into punk rock like no matter what people think about punk rock and you know people have all these misconceptions about you know people are going to shows and spitting out each other the sex pistols and blood and you know there's there's so much like media hype on punk rock but really punk rock was super empowering for a young kid because, you know, I grew up and I was into rock music. I was into like guitar type music. I played guitar. And, you know, if you listen to all those bands like pre-punk rock, they were just musical virtuosos. I mean, you had like Eddie Van Halen and, you know, you had, uh, you know, Guns N' Roses. And, you know, all these bands were where the musicianship was just like incredible. Rush and, you know, ACDC. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so being in a band, it seemed like just too far out of my reach, you know, mm-hmm. just just a, as a musician, although I loved playing guitar and stuff like that. But when I found punk rock, punk rock was it, it sort of leveled the playing field. It's like you got something to say, like if you have some sort of like, you know, burning message inside of you that you feel the need to get out and tell people you learn a few chords and guitar and you just get up there and you say whatever you got to say. And it was really, it was really super empowering for a young kid for all, even all my friends, you know, we were all in bands 
And it was really cool because, you know, when you're a kid, especially when you're a teenager, you have all these things on your mind and, you know, things that are troubling you and things that are going on in your life. Your parents are on your case in your school and, you you know, you're having a hard time with your teachers. And it gave you this, like, you could just scroll down a little poem about all the things that were bothering you in your life or aspirations that you might've had or things that you want to change in the world. And you just play a few chords and you get up there. And it was more about, it wasn't so much about the, the musical virtuosity. It was just about the energy and the passion and the message that you kind of brought to the table. And I want to acknowledge you here for a moment because um when I was like a 13 year old kid and I was driving around with my sisters or they were driving the car and they had all these mixtapes and they had like my, one of my sisters is like all into punk rock and hardcore, hardcore punk rock. And then she would play some of your music, right? Like some of shelter. And I'd listen to the lyrics and I was hearing these lyrics and I was just like, Oh, um, like about how to be, kind to the animals or to really think about um what my life means and what does it mean to have a relationship with a higher power and if there's a gun to my head like am I gonna pray for my salvation so I think about like and also just like some of the mantras I had heard at that time like just being like what is this like this is fascinating like really I was just like I want to know what that sound is and what it means, but I had no like Google. I couldn't Shazam it, you know, like there was just kind of like the information wasn't like it is today. So I just kind of had a very limited understanding and I just appreciated it. And it wasn't until years later that I was like, Oh my God, I know like this, this was Prabhupada sit properly in the song. Like that was like, it was uh, one of the, greatest teachers uh bringing bhakti yoga to the west and how he was able to like be in your hardcore punk rock songs and that that should just somehow permeate into our lives and that should even make my sister be interested in taking classes on the gita which then she invited me to the classes and see the impact that you following your passion and just writing a few things down and sharing it has had such a tremendous impact. And so I really acknowledge you and I'm grateful for you, Parmananda, and the rest of the band for bringing that into the world. Wow, thank you so much. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, a, it was a really cool time to be a young kid and have that musical outlet mm. of all the things that you were passionate about and all the things you just want to scream out there to the world you could do it <laughs> you could literally scream them out to the world so when i met raganath one of the things that we were really passionate about is that you know i i liked punk i liked the energy of the music i liked the different ideas that were kind of you know that i was learning from listening to dead kennedy's records and black flag records and minor threat records it was all very refreshing to me because these were things that weren't really being talked about in my school. Um, even like politics of, of the dead Kennedys and stuff like that. Uh, but what I didn't like about it is first of all, I, I didn't, I wasn't into the party scene in my school. You know, that's what I was, when I got into punk, that's what I was trying to get away from. 
Yeah. You know, going to parties, people doing a lot of drugs, people getting in fights, a bunch of stupid drama. But when I started going to punk shows, it just seemed like the same thing. You know, it was just people with leather jackets on getting drunk, getting into fights, you know, partying. And um, so when 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 me and Ruggenhoff were 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 starting that that band that we did, Youth of Today, our idea was we want to be the revolution to the revolution, because here's all these punk rockers. They understand that what's going on out there, there's something wrong with it. And we have to go a different way. But then we saw that they're not really going a different way. They're kind of just going the same way. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're just listening to more wild music. So we wanted to do a straight edge band. And we That's saw right. that as like, that's the real revolution. <laughs> Everybody's getting messed up on drugs. That's part of the problem of what we can see. And yeah. it's, even per it's even permeated the punk scene. And it's so not we going against the grain if everybody's doing it. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> not at all. It's feeding right into what the mainstream is shoving down your throat. I, I thought it was so not punk. Um, and I, I saw that like straight edge, this is actually something that's punk. This is something that's different. This is something that's counter. This is something that's revolutionary. Um, so we were super passionate about kind of spreading that message in the uh, in the punk scene. And what was really cool is a lot of people felt the same way, <laughs> you know, so we would go out and we would play and, you know, before you know it, this whole kind of like straight edge, you could call it like a youth movement started. And then other bands came, you know, like Uniform Choice and Gorilla Biscuits and uh, Bold and, you know, this whole big kind of thing started and it was really exciting to be part of. Mm. You know, it wasn't like the civil rights movement of the 60s or something on a grand scale like that. But in our own little microcosm of a world, it was a big deal. Like we were we really felt like we're part of something that's that's bigger than ourselves, you know, which is such a good feeling. Like. I think that's I, I think that's kind of like the way that I am now, like mm. I like to have a mission mm -hmm. because even from the time that I was young, you know, when we were doing Youth Today, we really felt like this is a mission. Like, this isn't just something that we're trying to do for ourselves. This is something, this is like a bigger picture kind of thing. We're trying to spread a message that's bigger than us, that can benefit other people. And we were super, we were sincere and serious about it. And so it, it gave me a taste for that, you know, for living for some, for living for a principle that's higher than yourself. Because most people are just living for themselves. <laughs> you know and even that's like the the start of yoga is to realize is to take yourself and your own big ego out of the center and you put something else in the center and you serve the center and so it was almost like what we were doing was a punk rock version of yogic principles you could even say it was it was really it was a really cool time I love that. I love that. Like a uh, punk rock version of the yogic principles. It was. <laughs> and of course, you know, we finally figured out that the center is actually Krishna. <laughs> like, like the center is like, there is an absolute source 
that's the center. That's the source of everything and everybody. And when you align in harmony with the energy of God, with the energy of divinity, that's when that's when all the wrinkles start to start to come out. Mm. And so then we started, man, we started to sing about that. We started shelter, <laughs> um, which was kind of cool because punk rock at least at the time i don't know how i don't know about now but at the time punk rock was very anti-authoritarian and religion was thrown in there too so any kind of thing that had to do with with religion was just very very put down in, in punk rock and so when shelter first started and here's all these guys that are into like the bhagavad-gita and krishna and bhakti and people just we would have people boycotting our shows, like literally throwing stuff at us, boycotting the shows, no gods. You no, know, they would have like big signs, no gods, no masters. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that was, that was kind of a super confrontational time when, when the band first started. So how did you navigate that? Like what happened? How did you move through that? Well, it was, it was very good for, my spiritual life personally mm. because you, you know we have this we have this um we live in a very like especially since the pandemic like in just in the last few years we live in a culture that's very censored and like the open debate of ideas is is almost like it's frowned upon, which is ridiculous because when you have people with opposing ideas coming together and talking about it, Healthy that's when the truth rises. Yeah, that's when the truth rises to the top. Mm -hmm. So as a person who is into Krishna and into Bhakti and into all, this into all this Vedic stuff, it tested me because very, very smart people in the hardcore scene would come up to me and they would be like, why are you doing this? Um, why do you believe in God? It's such a ridiculous thing that you think God is a blue cowherd boy. Explain yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, why do you worship these statues? And um, they're all very good questions. And, you know, being like a young kid, like, you know, in my early 20s, I didn't have all the answers to them. So when I would go to shows and people would come up and they would be very challenging to the uh, philosophy of, of bhakti, if I didn't have the answers, I would have to go find the answers. And I think it may, I think just that, it, it made me become more, um, more stable in what, and you know, more stable in, in like what I was actually doing. Like what, what were the reasons behind why I was doing that, doing that, because a lot of people can get into things for all the wrong reasons. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Uh, and, you know, you know, even according to our philosophy, when you do things without understanding the real import, the real importance of, of what they are, then it, everything just becomes very ritualistic. Yeah. And, and, there's, and there's, to do without knowing the reason or purpose that's yeah exactly like to to do be very strict about the rules and regulations for getting the purpose or on the other hand um not doing any rules and regulations and just whimsically doing whatever you feel like and having no um 
regulation or channel or vehicle in which to experience a relationship with divinity. Exactly. There has to be the middle path, <laughs> you know, and so it, it helped me immensely. And luckily I had my guru and I had senior devotees. And um, you met like, your guru when? Um, God, what year was it? Maybe 90. And when? Uh, I first met him at Gita Nagri. I was living at, at Gita Nagri. Mm. and uh Raghunath had asked me to join shelter and he wanted me to move to philadelphia at the philly temple and uh, when the farm found out about that they were super upset because there was only two workers on the farm and so we were it was it was basically me and my friend sachi sutta were taking care of like over 100 cows which is a huge job so, you know, we're working like eight to 10 hours a day, every day, taking care of all these cows. And so the, the, the farm was very upset. And then Raghunath was very adamant about getting me in shelter because they needed a guitar player. And finally, um, my guru, Ravind Sarup Prabhu, came out to the farm and, uh, he, and he talked to me about it. And it was really sweet. He just said, you know what? I think what's best for your spiritual life, life is if you come to Philadelphia. I think you'll have better association there. There's a lot of kids your age that live at the temple. And um, so he really endeared himself to me because I really felt even from that first time I met him, he was really looking out for my best interest, not the best interest of like, you know, the bureaucracy of you know, the movements and the temples and, you know, things like that, but really what was in my personal best interest. So that was really, that was super sweet. So I met him. He's a, he's brilliant. Um, he's a PhD, he, you know, he's a PhD, Ivy league PhD. He knows everything about, you know, um, not just bhakti and Hinduism, but about all different, you know, religions, uh, and he, he, what's cool about, you know, when I first got into Krishna consciousness, you could say bhakti, you know, now it's kind of like, you know, people would just say bhakti. But it just seemed like there was certain people that could answer any single question that I had, like no matter what. You know who was like that? Do you know, you know, Satyaraj, right? Satyaraj? Stephen oh. Rosen. Oh yes, yes, I know him. I do, I do. I met him at the Bhakti Center. Okay, I forgot that name of his. Yes, yes, he's written many books. Yeah, he was one of those people that I used to go to, and with any question, he could give me a very rational, satisfying answer, mm -hmm. which was amazing. You know, what, what, why don't you eat meat? He would lay it out. You know, and it was funny because you know I grew up Catholic. I remember going to um, CCD, which is the Catholic school that you have to go to to get your confirmation. And I remember there would be kids that would ask the priest, like, but what happens if there's like, you know, because the priest would say something like, if you don't accept Jesus in your heart, you go, you go to hell for all eternity. Yeah. And then the rational question to ask is, well, what if there's a person out there who's a sincere spiritualist? He's just in a different religion. Yeah. Like what happens to that person? And the priest would say, they go straight to hell. That's what it says in the Bible. And I was just thinking like, that's not a good answer. You know, that's just some kind of dogmatic rhetoric 
that even a 13 year old kid can figure out, you know, but it was different at the Krishna temple. Like I, I could go and I could ask Satyaraj and other people and my guru, all these questions and they would have really good answers for them. Really logical, rational answers. Even if you ask, like, you could go up to a, a, a Christian devotee, you could say, why do you believe that God's a blue cowherd boy? And I bet you I could probably make a pretty reasonable argument for that. You know, as something as wild as that, you know, there's, there's actually some rationality behind it that you're just like, oh, now I get it. Now I get why you're doing what you're doing. So, um, we would go on tour and we would get challenged all the time. And I, I would have all these questions that I couldn't answer. Yeah. And I'd bring them back. I'd ask my girl, oh, my God, we were at the show. And this guy stumped me on this question. And I would ask other people and ask, you know, senior devotees. Because we always stayed at temples on tour. Mm. And so we'd ask sannyasis and monks and senior devotees. And it was it was a great learning experience. That's I, amazing. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I'm a really big proponent of healthy open debate like i can't stand censorship mm -hmm. i i hate the fact that you have these like politicians that are like i'm not gonna go to the debate it's like are you kidding me of course you got to go to the debate that's where the cream rises to the top that's where you separate the fanatics for the rational people and you figure out who's the best candidate you know for for office um yeah. And it, it seems like lately we're really moving <clears throat> we're really moving away from that. And if you have an opposing view, you're not allowed to talk about it. You're just kind of talked down on, you know, people deplatform you. You know, it, it you know, it even happened like during the pandemic like if you were against vaccinations or you had even a question about mm -hmm. vaccination, you were deplatformed? Mm -hmm. You couldn't even talk. They would take away your avenue for for communicating with other people yeah. it's not health it's not healthy and it's not the way that you get at truth so i actually you know even though it was it was tough in the, in the beginning days of shelter because you had to field all these rational questions about what you were doing and what you believed in it made me a, a much better devotee in the end Wow, that's incredible. First of all, just like imagining you on tour and then getting hounded with all these questions like, what's up with you guys? And we're not like, what's this religious stuff? And yeah, everyone's got their perception of what things are externally without the understanding. Um, and then how you were able to go to your teachers and sannyasis and different people who really studied and lived these teachings and be like, Hey, I don't know how to answer this question. And by having that emotional experience, it like deeply internalized those teachings for you because you were so open and it deepened and continued to deepen. Go ahead. Paris, you said exactly what I was feeling much better than I said it. So thank you. <laughs> No, you did a great job of explaining. That was beautiful. And so I wonder, like, after that, did it change? Did your, how did, how did it change as your knowledge increased and is continuing to increase? Uh, it, it did change. It was only like that for maybe the first year or so that I was in the band when we really started touring and going to Europe and, and things like that. And I think what, 
I think what changed was, I think people started reading the lyrics and understanding that, man, like a lot of the stuff that this band is singing about, I actually agree with. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so by the time the band actually got kind of big, there wasn't that pushback anymore. It, it was almost like, uh, I, I think people understood the band a little bit more and therefore they weren't so, uh, what's the right word? I don't know, intimidated by it or whatever. You know what it's like? I always use this example. When you walk into a dark room, immediately your mind is like, oh my God, is there a guy in a gun in this room? Like, is there something in this room that's going to hurt me? I can't see, you know, you, you get like a little nervous, but when you turn on the light and you see, oh, there's nothing in this room, you know, this room is perfectly safe. I think it's like that too. I think when people finally understood what the band was really saying and it didn't, and it didn't come across as culty and um irrational and people could even be like hey i can even get behind a lot of the stuff that are that's in the in these songs i think the mood towards shelter completely changed Mm. and it just it just stayed like that the whole time that i was in the band so things did change and and they changed pretty quickly and that's amazing also like i'm sure part of it is like how you experienced it also changed the resistance because it was so deep the deeper it became for you, the less resistance from others, because it's like you're living it and you're practicing it. So it's resonating more deeply for others. Very true. Very true. And you know, what also helped is that this, this sweatshirt wore an illusion. It's actually a, um, I used to do a fanzine because in punk rock fanzines were super popular. You know, you'd make a little magazine, you'd, you know, get it printed or you staple it together, whatever you go to shows and you, you know, you sell it for a quarter or whatever. And so um, I had done a big hardcore fanzine before I was a devotee. So when I got into shelter, I did my own fanzine. It was called War and Illusion. It actually just last uh, last year or so it got I did three issues and our record label took it and they made it into a they took all three issues and they made it into a book. And they added all this extra stuff to it. I think I got one. Hold on a second. That is amazing. Yeah, so they took it and they made it into uh, they made it into a book, which came out last year. I think I, I I just found out today. Somebody said it sold out, and they were looking for a copy of it, but maybe they'll repress it or whatever. What was really cool about this is that, um. This was specifically for people who had questions about what we were doing. And so I wrote this whole kind of fanzine and it had music stuff in it and interviews with different bands um, that were either Krishna bands or some sort of like, you know, kind of spiritual bands or spiritual adjacent bands or straight edge bands and things like that. But it also had a lot of articles just about bhakti or krishna consciousness in general to just to kind of demystify the whole thing for people who were just stumbling upon shelter and wondering like what's this all about like these guys are you know the the whole thing seems very foreign you know they're practicing this foreign religion and they got the weird ponytails and they're all dressed in orange <laughs> like what is this all about 
So um, I did that fanzine and I tried to address a lot of the questions. And I think it, I think it had a, at least I like to think it had a, it had a good impact on kind of demystifying what the band was all about. That's incredible. Wow. I didn't, I didn't even know about that. So the fanzine started a while ago, but then last year you continued it. Yeah. Well, I didn't continue it. They took the old issues and they oh, reissued they it as a book. Oh, okay. That's amazing. Is there something you'd want to share from that or huh. a story? Well, one of the best, you know, I, when I got it, I read the whole thing cover to cover <laughs> and, you know, I hadn't read it in a long time, you know, because it came out like, you know, in the nineties. Yeah. Uh, but one of the, one of the best things that that's in here is, um, you know who Bhakti Tirta Swami is, don't you? Yes, I'm such a big fan. I have a couple of his books right here. One that I'm reading at the moment. I'm such a fan. He's just, in but you knew him. So please tell us. Uh, you knew well, we, we played a show, Shelter played a show in Washington, D.C. where his temple was. Yeah. And so he came to the show and I had met him before. He came to Philadelphia a bunch of times and I loved him. I loved his classes. You, you just, you couldn't help but love him. He was just so powerful and empowered and such a strong speaker and, and such a clear thinker and such a revolutionary that like he really resonated with me. And so I was so happy when we played in DC, he came to the show. And it was weird because in, in the Krishna movement at the time, people were sort of like polarized by shelter. Like, some people thought this is so cool there's so many of these new kids coming to the temple now and there was other more conservative people from you know the movement the temples are like this is maya like they're playing punk rock this is embarrassing for Prabhupada. they should stop doing this immediately um so whenever we had senior devotees would come and see us it was sort of a big deal because they were one of the people that were open-minded enough to sort of like, you know, that thought what we were doing is, is, is a good thing. So he came and it was so cool. There's all these kids, you know, it's a punk show. People got mohawks and tattoos and, you know, green hair. And then all of a sudden uh, I'm setting stuff up on stage and I just see the door open and there's just this man like dressed in orange and he's got this, cane with a big Nishringadeva carved into the top of the cane and he's just like you know when he enters a room his energy just fills the whole entire room that's just like the type of person he was and so he just walked into that room with that cane and he was so effulgent it was like wow Bhakti Tirta Swami's here you know it was such a big deal and then he came and he was right on the side of the stage and he was right on my side of the stage. And he watched the whole show from, from my side of the stage. And it was, a, it was a great show. It was wild. Kids were singing along and stage diving and piling up on the mic, you know, 20 people trying to sing along at the same time. It was a wild, wild show. And, um, you know, so you always think like, what does this saintly person think about all this stuff? <laughs> you know, so we went back to his. Um, he had his center there that he ran, and he and he sat us down. He was like, "I loved it. 
you guys are like you're like it's it's like spiritual espionage you're going in disguised as a hardcore band and you're giving people the absolute truth i love it this is a revolution you guys are thinking like i think and so he was so cool and he really he actually he gave us a donation I forget how much money he gave us. He gave us like $500 and he goes, I support you guys so much. I want to give you a donation. Now, if you know anything about Vedic culture, yeah, you're supposed to give the monks donations. Mm -hmm. The monks aren't supposed to donate to you. You're, you know, you're supposed to give, you know, the monks basically, you know, uh, they're the ones that don't get involved with money and things like that. But he gave us a donation because he was just, he was so into what we were doing. And so the next, and I was doing the fanzine at the time. And so the next morning after breakfast, I asked Bhakti Tirtaswamy if I could interview him for the um, fanzine. And oh. it's really cool. Let me see if I can find it. It was great. And I took some pictures of him and stuff too. It's called Hardcore Scene Politics with Bhakti Tirtaswamy. Oh. And it's such a good interview. And it was so cool because I got to spend the whole entire, like the half a day with him. Like I spent like four or five hours with him. And it was really like just me and him in his room. And it was super special. It's one of the, it's one of like in, in my whole like, you know, devotional life. It's one of those memories that I have that I really cherish. Like, being alone one-on-one -on -one with Bhakti Tirta Swami for hours and hours, just getting to talk to him and interview him. It was really special. Oh. Um, and he, he, pa he passed away not long after that. I think like a year later he had, he had passed away. So I felt super fortunate that I got that personal association with him, which was really beautiful. So I was reading the fanzine and that was one of the things that was really special to me when I, when I reread it. Oh my God. I love it. I can't wait to read that, um, article. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Well, can I get that? Can I see the article? Where is it? Like, um, I can bring one to the Bhakti center. I only have one. Uh, I only have my personal copy and so I, I literally somebody Instagrammed me just today asking at where I could get a copy because they went to the record label and they tried to order it and they said it was sold out. So I don't know if they're going to be printing more or if it's just like now it's just going to be out of print or whatever, but um, I can let you read that article for sure. Thank you. I'd love to, even if you sent me the photos, I'd love to read it. I'm so, so my heart is warmed by that story. It really is beautiful. And I feel like Bhakti Tirta Swami, like I feel his energy even today through the lectures I get to hear, like I, it's so endearing, so, so beautiful. The quality of the energy, I, I can hear him even coming from his books, you know, and, and that's like a very yeah. thing. And that the, the saint is still, um, their soul is still giving blessings and is still very present, even if we don't see that physically. That, that's true. And if anybody's out there um, and they want to look into Bhakti Tirta Swami, you can. Google, you can just look him up on YouTube and there's a lot of great lectures on YouTube. Bhakti Tirta Swami. And I'll put some um, and, below. Yeah, you can put the, you can put some links or in, you know, in the notes or whatever. 
Um, and also, I highly recommend his Spiritual Warrior series. He wrote a bunch of books that are called Spiritual Warriors, yeah. Spiritual Warrior with different subheadings. And they're just, they're excellent. They're such good books. They really so, are. I have a couple of them. I haven't gone through all of them, but there's so many. There's just like, and then he did a whole series. There's a series on leadership. Um, there's just so much. And it's really extraordinary because he was, yeah, he was doing a lot to help transform our relationship with uh, what it means to be a leader, what it means to be a spiritual leader, a spiritual warrior. It's incredible. So and he was and he was a real independent thinker too. Like he didn't exactly fit the mold of what people thought a sannyasi should be. But you know, sometimes he wouldn't dress exactly like an Indian sannyasi. You know, he would go to Africa and he was actually uh super successful in, you know. He was like a real revolutionary as far as bringing bhakti to Africa. He was a real key person that, you know, first, you know, was first introducing bhakti to Africa. And so, so he would dress in African clothes when he went there. Yeah. And he, you know, and his thing was, I want to build bridges. I don't want like, like, instead of making this thing less digestible for people, Let's make it more digestible for people. Yeah, yeah. Like he talk about the distinction between Christianity and churchianity and how like there's, it's important to understand the difference between like what the church built versus what was like essential to the teachings of Christianity. And because he came from a Christian uh, background. Um, so just so interesting, but please continue. Yeah, he was just such a forward thinker. You know, he was so sharp and his idea was, I just want to give this, you know, I just want to give this knowledge to people. And so whatever format that I have to give this to people, I'll give it to them. It was almost like shelter, you know, we want to spread a message. Okay. Well, what's our circle of influence? We were in all these hardcore bands. You know, so why don't we just do a hardcore band where we sing about all these principles that we're into now? And it was a great, you know, even though the music might have been this raucous, like wild music and kids would stage dive at shows and stuff like that. People were people were getting the message. You know, it, it wasn't just entertainment, you know, especially in punk rock. It's way beyond just, you know, most people have this idea of music is just entertainment. But punk was never like that. Punk was always about, you know, the message is as important as the music. And so a lot, you know, the, the people that were into shelter, they were into shelter, not just because of the music, but because of the message behind the music. So we put, we put in a format that they could understand and they could appreciate. And I, I think that's important, you know, for, for, for people when they want to, when they think about, how can I communicate something that's like really deep in my heart? You have to, uh, you, know, you know, sometimes you have to come up with some novel ways to communicate that. Mm. And that's right. It's just kind of being creative and like breaking through creative blocks and kind of getting over what you think things are supposed to be. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You know, even like, um, I, I remember sometimes back in, 
and shelter, we would get like real sort of old school, conservative, you know, Krishna type people who would be like, you guys shouldn't be doing this. You should be out just distributing on the street corner, distributing Prabhupada's books. And, you know, although I think it's great that people are out distributing Prabhupada's books, I think it's like an incredible service. Um, I don't think it's the only service. Yeah. And I don't think like, you know, you know, you know, it, it was funny because one time uh, uh, it was my guru's Vyasa Puja, which is my guru's birthday. They call it the Vyasa, Vyasa Puja. And part of my Vyasa Puja offering was I was talking about shelter and because he was a huge proponent of shelter. And he was like he, he was he was, you know, one of these heads of the, of the GBC, which is the governing body for the whole Krishna movement around the world. And he unabashedly was like, shelter's great. You should see how many young kids are coming to the temples these days. And it's all due to this banned shelter. Uh -huh. If you think you're against it, you shouldn't be against it because this is a great thing. And yeah. he even wrote, um, Prabhupada's magazine was called Back to Godhead magazine. And he even wrote an article about when he went to a shelter show and he wrote this whole really kind of cool article about punk and all these kids that were reading the Bhagavad Gita at the shelter show and stuff like that. So he was a big proponent of what we were doing. And so I wrote, I, I forget exactly what I wrote in, in my, in my offering, you know, at Vyasa Puja, all the students of the teacher, they'll write an offering and they'll write something glorifying the teacher. And so he said in return, he said, you know, I, he said, even if he goes, it, he goes, it was so great that what you guys were doing was actually making a dent. And, 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 you know, you were inspiring kids to get into a spiritual you know, association with people and they would come to temples and they would read books. And he was like, that was so great. But even if you guys didn't inspire anybody, I thought it was so great because he said when, when his teacher was Srila Prabhupada, who was the founder of this whole, he basically brought Bhakti to the, to, to America, his teacher in the sixties, which was my guru's teacher. And he said, when I saw Prabhupada, I saw how he was expert in seeing what people's talents were and engaging people according to their talents. Because, you know, that's another thing about creativity is like, you love to do it. You know what I mean? So, you know, sure, you might have to like, you, you know, sure, there's things like when you live in a temple, sure, you have to wash the pots, you have to wash the floor, you have to clean the bathroom, you, you have to do all that stuff. Um, but above and beyond that, your main service should be something that harnesses your talents. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he was saying, like, I saw you kids. You're super energetic, <laughs> you know, semi hyper kids, which we were. Um, yeah, you're, you're, you're just, you know, over flooding with energy and you're all musicians. You all have this musical talent, you know, why not harness that energy and your abilities and your focus and the talents and all the things that you like to do and your creative ability and, and how do you do that in a spiritual way? So I always try to encourage you guys in that. Mm. And even if nobody else was listening, it would have been good for you guys to just use your talents in a spiritual way. And he said, it was just icing on the cake 
that other people just happen to listen to your band and, and also get into it. And I thought that was another really just sweet thing. And it's also an important principle about spiritual life in general. You know, like some people are, they love art. So why not do art, spiritually based art, you know, or some people love to cook. Great. You can even cook for Krishna. <laughs> you know, you look at Divya's kitchen, you know, you look at the, the restaurant that's below the Bhakti Center. You know, she's such a talent. She's the most talented chef in the world. Practically. I love it's my favorite place to go eat in New York. Yeah, me too. Hands down. It's probably the best restaurant in the world. Um, you know, so Krishna consciousness, it's not, and you know, just Bhakti in general, it's not, it's almost like it's, it's not what you do. It's how you do it. You can take anything that you're passionate about and your creative talents, even you, you know, I remember you at the eco village and you're taking these notes and you're drawing all these pictures and you're making like these beautiful, they're, they're almost like these beautiful art books of notes, you know, that you were taking during all the classes. And I thought, how great, you know, here's this girl, she's got all this artistic talent and she's using it to help her imbibe all this, all these teachings that she's, that she's coming up with. Yeah. That's a, like, even, even that, like even yourself, it's such a great example. I, I wish people would do more of that, actually. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. I love that you said it's not just what you do, but it's how you do it. And like embracing, embracing the things that we are curious about, our natural talents, and just like allowing ourselves to be engaged in. And what better than to engage it in a higher purpose, which coming back to your original point towards the beginning of this conversation where you were sharing you know doing things for something bigger than just yourself right yeah that's what it's all about and yeah like to really it's like I, for me the notes are like I'm learning but if I could share them with somebody and they could learn then even better. Um, so I feel inspired to even share some of those notes again. And they're just sitting there. And I'm like, I'll look at them and I'll remember. And maybe it'll also help somebody else. Um, they're great. I think you should do some kind of book. Oh. You, should you should take your notes and just... Do you, uh, have, you, have you like gone through the whole Bhagavad Gita and made your art notes? Oh. That, would be, that would be an interesting Bhagavad Gita study guide. Oh the, the the art book study guide to the Gita. That would be cool. <laughs> I bet you people would get so much out of it. You know, there's probably there's probably tons of artistic people that learn through art much better than just learning and sitting down and reading that would really love something like that. Mm. You, sh you should consider it. Thank you for your blessings and encouragement. I'm like, hmm, maybe this could be a project, like a collaborative project with some other artists because <laughs> it's a lot and there's so much depth and richness there yeah it's beautiful thank you parmananda for that encouragement so grateful to you and i'm like seeing that we're like um i'm looking at the time and i'm like wait a minute did this just happen um and i and like i have i honestly like i'm kind of still navigating this personally where i'm like i had like a lot of questions at first that i wrote down and then i was like 
um, as I've interviewed people, I'm like, well, maybe I don't need to even like just toss the questions to the side and like really just listen and try to like see what, you know, because some of the questions are just like going deeper into what was just said instead of like, you know, what's on your nightstand or, you know, there's, um, yeah, there's like certain things that can be um, almost a distraction. So I'm part of this is a creative journey for me of like knowing what to like how to steer this and like like the most important thing is just to be really present in my heart and like to really be attentive and that said I still feel at this point I'm like well, I didn't even get to ask you like what are some of the things you're most excited about right now or like you have a, a new band that you know happened over COVID and has just been emerging and um yeah like just I'd love to hear a little bit anything you'd like to share about what you're really excited about at the moment all right I'll definitely do that. Hold on, let me, it's getting dark here. Let me turn the light on. Okay. Um, I'm glad you asked about the new band because I love plugging the new band. Yeah. I, ha I have a new band that I play guitar for that has a girl singer. So I never did a band with a, a girl even in the band before, I to speak of the singer. Yeah. So I'm really happy with it. We just came out of the record. It's called, the band is called Values Here. And uh, we just came out with a 13 song record that we worked for years on. And so I was so happy to see it finally um, materialize and come out. And I'm super proud of it. I think it came out really, really great. And um, we're actually getting, we, we've done two videos. So you can look us up on YouTube. Nice. And we're, we're actually filming a third video uh, the first week of December. And we're getting together and we're going to be practicing and uh i'm going i'm I'm leading a yoga retreat to india in january and february but when we get back from that we're going to start touring and playing around and stuff like that so i'm super excited about it amazing so you're doing a yoga retreat and then you're also going to be touring when you get back yeah amazing amazing and why values here why did it's you an it's an old hardcore song that by this band called Dag Nasty, which is a band that I really love. Oh. And um, so it's kind of a nod to that old hardcore band that we really liked. And you all you mutually had this like love of that. Yeah. That's amazing. Beautiful. Thank you so much, so much. I'm so grateful. Paramananda for your energy, your care, your care for sharing your heart and sharing yourself, um, bringing such great energy into everything that you do, sharing the insight that your 12 year old or 15 year old self had, like just the journey we've been on has been amazing um, about the creative process, about getting blessings from teachers, about doing things that aren't fitting into some mold and actually about fitting into the mold. I find it so interesting how every teacher doesn't seems to have their own very unique way of being like, I, I see that there's no real cookie cutter. It's not a cookie cutter. In fact, in fact, it seems like, um, there's 
maybe there are some standards, but like every personality, like every teacher that you meet is so unique and seems to bring the same loving message, but like in their very unique way, like Sachinandana Swami and Radhanath Swami and like all these teachers and your guru, Bhakti Sirja Swami, but such different flavors. Um, and so that appreciation of like, there is what is unique to you and the celebration of what is unique to you. And also kind of taking some risk. Um, I think that's something that I'm personally navigating is just like how to take risk and how to like get over all the fear of what is, what's this gonna, how will this be perceived? What will other people think? And just like letting go of that. I can imagine that doing a podcast is almost like putting out a record. If you go through that whole thing when you put out the record too, like, are people going to like it? What are people going to think about it? Uh, so doing, you know, whenever you do something creative and you just take what's in your heart, and you just throw it out there to the world. There's always that. Uh, there's always some kind of like fear and insecurity that you have to get over to just do it. So I appreciate you doing the podcast too, because I'm sure there's stuff like that must come up also. Yeah, for, for sure. And I think, well, it's a little different. I actually listened to an interview the other day about how, like, maybe with books, the the bar is much higher. Like, if you're going to release a book, it's like, it's really got to be really freaking good because you must have edited that thing many times. Whereas, like, with podcasts, it's like, it's a conversation. You're not always going to have a perfect conversation. And, but yes, hopefully you learn to develop that um you know, I think that's something I'm also learning. Like I'm in a coaching training at the moment. So I'm learning about how to be a better listener and how to like be open to just hearing instead of like trying to steer things in a particular direction. So like, it's kind of a little bit of, I think creativity, celebration of creativity, but also like, um, yeah, appreciation and allowing what needs to emerge. Oops, my clipboard. Um, allowing what needs to emerge or what wants to emerge in the moment. And I think there's an element of like letting go of control and just letting things evolve or like grow. And, and that's kind of unpredictable. Um, and in some ways in my life, I'm very like, okay, let's follow this. Like, this is how we're going to do it. But I feel in my heart that this is very different. And I want it to be something that's like really nourishing for, for myself and for every person that I get to talk to, like nourishing. And I'm sure that if it's not nourishing for me, it can't be nourishing for the other person. Like, I'm so clear about that. Like, it's gotta be so like, my heart is really present. I hope I pray. And in doing that, I can also be present to the presence of others. And we can just like, be like, ah, we're here. It's a blessing. <laughs> you're, you're so good at that. It, it inspires me to just kind of let it all out. <laughs> <laughs> what is it you want to let out? Well, you know, one thing that, what you said really struck me because you were talking about, you know, the creative process and how it's so individual 
and even different gurus have a different angle on things. And that's, you know, uh, such a beauty. It reminded me of what I was reading in the Bhagavatam about, you know, one of, one is, one of Krishna's names is Rasaraj, mm. which means he's a connoisseur of love, of loving sentiments. And a lot of people have low self-esteem these days. You know, they feel like, you know, they, they don't have a lot of self-worth and they have esteem issues, especially, you know, with social media and everybody putting up their highlight reel of their lives. And you feel like your life doesn't quite, you know, match up. Mm-hmm. But according to, uh, according to spirituality, your your worth is is your uniqueness because every single person is a unique being with with their own different combinations of likes and dislikes and talents and abilities and loves and you know it's a flavor it's a flavor of love and krishna wants to taste that flavor of love that everybody has there's a certain flavor yeah. of love that you have that nobody else can give krishna only you can give that to Krishna. It's like creative individuality. It's actually like this cornerstone of spiritual life. It's it's our whole offering that we can give to to people. So it's something that we should really embrace. You know this this thing that makes us unique and the, and 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 you know celebrate that instead of trying to you know push it down or fit in or or you know something like that. There is, there are things that make us unique and Krishna loves that about us mm. and he, and he wants to taste that. I'm, this is so resonating. Cause I really think that in my mind, like I'd heard that, that I'm unique and I'm special and whatever, but maybe in my heart, I kind of doubted it or it was kind of like, no, I still have to like try to become or let me try to make myself fit into something that I think I'm supposed to be and then I think the trend that I'm noticing Paramananda is like wait a minute there really is something that is unique to me and I can just celebrate it instead of trying so hard to be like oh and this person says don't do this it's like every you're gonna find opposing opinions on everything people are gonna say never ask this question never do that with a proposal even with work right like whether creativity or work related stuff or anything it's like you never do this you always do that and like totally opposing opinions and it's like when it comes to like self-expression there really is like an art in it there's like some art of living and some art of like connecting to yourself and others that's like there's not such a rigid structure about it at all uh did you ever hear that vedic story about how you can't please everybody with it with the donkey the man and his son and the donkey oh yeah so like they were riding along and then the donkey go ahead it's like everyone sees the donkey um the boy sitting on the donkey and they're like what a stupid family why isn't the dad sitting on the donkey and then they see the dad and they're like why isn't the kid sitting and then they're both walking and no one's sitting on the donkey. like what a stupid family like they're just walking and the donkeys right 
And then they both get on the donkey and people are like, look what they're doing to that poor donkey. <laughs> like you just can't win no matter what you do. There's going to be people that are going to criticize you. So yeah. uh, and if, I think that the criticism is actually from not being expressed in like not channeling creative energy in a healthy way. And that is why there is all this, like, as you mentioned earlier with like, like a failure to appreciate different opinions or be okay with different perspectives. I think in the critical mindset and even conversation that comes out of that is a reflection of like unexpressed creativity that's just like stagnated and festers. And then it's just like, it becomes like a fireball, right? Because creative energy needs to be expressed. Otherwise it, it needs to be channeled. Otherwise it comes out in all these negative ways. And so that's, I'm on a mission to really, I hope live it myself and be able to use my creative energy. Cause I know I have a lot of it. I have a lot of energy. Um, I guess it's like the mode of passion or whatever. And then it's like, if I don't channel it, then it can be destructive. And so I think for me, that's been like, this is part of why I'm even doing this is like, how do I channel my energy um, into positive ways? And how do I like create um, and do something that I really love to do, which is like talk to extraordinary people like you and get to hear about, you know, what lights you up. Yeah, what a, what a great job. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Parvathanda, you're the best. I'm going to stop the recording.